You are now listening to the August 31st broadcast of Unity in Christ. This hour, we have Walking Our Talk, Grace Upon Grace, and It's Time to Pray the Bible. First, let's begin with Walking Our Talk. Welcome to Walking Our Talk with Alan and Polly Heller. In this podcast series, Alan and I will discuss material adapted from our book, The Marital Mystery Tour. Join us as we share practical steps to put into action God's principles from His Word, one step at a time. Well, welcome to Walking Our Talk. This is Alan Heller, and I got a few guests in the studio besides Polly, my wife. Hey, Polly. Hello. Good to have you here. And we have Steve and Marla Wagner, our good friends for, I tried to do the calculations, something like 30 years. So, <laughs> hi there, Steve. Hello. And Marla? Hi there. You're aging us. <laughs> I know. I keep thinking, how did I get here? And all of us have grandkids and stuff, and so you'll learn more about them. We're going to use this segment and probably another one to talk about something that goes on on a regular basis around our world and in our churches, and it's sort of like a silent thing, and yet it's right there in front of us, and it's... Uh, dealing with pornography and the addictive quality of that. And Stephen Marler, why don't you tell us a little bit about, first let's talk about yourselves, and then we'll talk about the ministry that God has put together called Revive 40. Well, about um, 20 years ago, I was dealing with sexual addiction myself and uh, had to finally come to grips with the fact I had to deal with this. And through meeting with men and uh, disclosing and confessing. Uh, I got to see freedom start taking place. And then uh, eventually Lord led me out one night to, uh, to take some notes in the middle of the night. And he kind of woke me up out of a dead sleep. And I went to uh, Ezekiel 37 where I was talking about the valley of dry bones. Hmm. And uh, that night, really, he impressed in my heart that at some point I was going to be leading a group uh, telling men uh, that they can be free and raising really what he said in that uh, chapter of, of Ezekiel 37 was that you're going to be speaking to men that are walking live, but they're really dead inside. Wow. And that's so, where the name Revive 40 comes from. It's okay. To revive those dead bones to, to life, to real life, walking with Christ. And, and what was the picture? Who were you at that time? Were you single, married? Were you in business? What, what were you doing? <laughs> so you're a man. Oh, that's right, because you said. And so what were you doing for a living? I was in the water treatment business. Mm -hmm. I had been in partners with my brother-in-law for... Oh, I can't remember. I can't put time frames here. Probably, <laughs> probably about five years yeah. uh, at that point. So uh, you're just typical businessman. Were you going to church at the time? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, we got saved in 1984. Uh, that was four years before we got married. We got married in 88. Uh, and I got married at 29 years old. And, uh, yeah, I'd been business out, out of college the whole time, but actually partners with Ken for about five years at okay. that point. Great. So, uh, and what was your part in all that, Marla? What did, what did you see going on, or did you even know anything was going on with him at the time, or were you just madly in love and just having a great time <laughs> with him? Um, 
For many years, I I didn't know, but towards the end, I could really tell a difference. We had three kids, and um, he was gone a lot more. Mm-hmm. Was coming home really late, and just a lot more irritable, which is not his personality. He is one of the most consistently happy people I literally I've ever met, mm-hmm. and just being critical and grumpy, and so. Yeah, I did start seeing things. Um, so you that saw were things, but you didn't know why. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. did you start asking questions? Or so tell us about Revive Forty and what that means and and what the ministry does. Well, Revive Forty got started in two thousand, January of two thousand. I had been in a men's group uh, with our pastor, and uh, the the topic of sexual sin came up. And, and uh, <laughs> that must have been great for all the guys. That's that really exciting about that. <laughs> And I, they were all talking about it. I'm like, they don't get this. Mm-hmm. You know, so for the first time, I kind of publicly came out and told my story. And, mm-hmm. and uh, not knowing that they had been praying before that meeting for somebody to lead uh, the sexual addiction recovery group at the <laughs> church. Interesting. And so they uh, pulled me aside and said, do you want to do this ministry? And I'm like... Uh, not really. <laughs> wow. so, this is not my ministry of choice. <laughs> was there already a group in existence, but it didn't have a leader? There was, and uh, it had turned over several times. And it wasn't very well attended, I think right. I heard you say it one time. It started with two guys, and we yeah. had just two guys for months. And yeah, and thousands of people in a church, and there are two guys that are willing to say, <laughs> I have a problem. So... We started January of uh, 2000, and we've had over 2,000 men attend since that time. Uh, Revive 40, the name is, um, you know, we want to see men revived from their sexual sin and get back in the game and uh, being able to walk strong, lead their families. (laughs) Uh, The 40 is, I'm a numbers guy. Yeah. So I started playing around, uh, looking at how many men are in the United States, how many of them claim to be Christians, and the statistics are somewhere, you know, between 50 and 80% of guys are addicted to pornography or some form of sexual sin. And uh, I just took the 50% number, that that's probably about 40 million Christian men are addicted to pornography or Hmm. some form. So that's where the 40 comes from of uh, the Revive 40. Great. So, and in general, what does Revive 40, what's your purpose? What are you trying to do with men? For me personally, in my recovery, the most powerful thing I got to experience was I'm not alone in this. Mm -hmm. So we provide a place that's safe, confidential, that men can come and walk with one another, share their stories, realize they're not the only one dealing with this, which helps them get through the shame and the guilt. Um, and then we just walk through life, and uh, we we feel led in our group to uh, have a teaching aspect and helping men grow, not just to get through sexual addiction, but all areas of their life to where they can go back and lead their families, lead their churches, mm-hmm. lead their kids, uh, and so on, and be effective with their, their faith. So my understanding is you have a like about an hour and a half meeting, and there's time to just sort of get to know people informally and then you have a speaker usually or some worship and a speaker and then break into small groups and like how many are in groups right now yeah exactly as we sit here groups are being added Mm -hmm. Uh, we've got four groups right now 
uh, but two of the groups have been around for several years and they are attended between 30 and 50 men attend and then we have leaders and at towards the end like you said we break into small groups and, and typically those groups are four to six guys per group right uh, and we just share life we just yeah. talk about what's going on and our, our struggles throughout the week and what we can be praying for and try to encourage guys and each group the leader is somebody that's experiencing freedom hmm. so that it they've they, been they through it helped. already yeah. yeah yeah they've got somebody they can look to and say well this guy's right where i was at you right know, or where i'm at and i could probably get there myself so these groups are in phoenix arizona but the hope would be that eventually there'll be groups all over the country and hopefully around the world and there are other people that do it but it seems like god is putting his hand on this ministry to uh, multiply the format the way that you've uh, chosen to do it so and I, what i've found in counseling the, the three things that i've found that are most important for guys to be unhooked from whatever addiction is they need to have counseling in other words somebody who can really get into the nitty-gritty of their lives and understand maybe family of origin stuff etc that has or you know most people have been sexualized like at eight, 10 years old, and now they're 40, 50, some 60, who don't even understand what that impact had on them. And so it seems like they need somebody who's skilled, whether it's a formal counselor or not, a lay counselor, a pastor, but sometimes they don't even know how to deal with it. So somebody who's skilled in dealing with this issue, then having either a sponsor is sort of AA, form uh they call it a sponsor but a a coach a somebody to walk with you through it who has actually been through it and then you know knows the pitfalls and understands when you mess up and uh so to have the counselor the coach and then just to be able to be in a small group where you realize you're not alone i mean i think that's one of the biggest uh, lies of the enemy is to make us think that we're the only ones who have ever been through this and God will never forgive me and, and my wife will never forgive me and et cetera. And uh, we, we know that's not true. We were actually talking about that in the beginning. In, in the year 2000, uh, sexual addiction had not even hardly been termed about mm -hmm. s seven, eight years before that. And there were not many Christian counselors, and in, in fact, most Christian counselors were saying you couldn't be addicted yeah. uh, to this. So most of the men in our group in the very beginning had no counsel to go to. It mm -hmm. was just in our group mm -hmm. that through prayer and seeking God and praying for forgiveness of people that had hurt them and wounded them in the past, uh, we saw man after man get, get free uh, through Christ. And that's really our, our our theme song is uh, John where he says that when Jesus sets you free you're free indeed mm. Mm. so what do you think is the greatest need with these guys as you see guys coming for help what's one of the greatest needs that you see for them well any type of addiction or sin isolates men and uh, they pull away as their addiction heightens and they hide and so just uh, connection Mm -hmm. uh, getting healthy relationships with men uh, that they can share life with, uh, I think is probably the number one thing. Guys that can call them to the table, keep them accountable, love on them, encourage them, give them hope. Uh, I, you know, you can't say too much about 
you know, how God's designed us to be with people and live life with people. Right. I mean, it says two are better than one because when one falls down, the other can lift him up. And there is a, a man that sticks closer than a brother. And so we have mm-hmm. scriptures that back that up. Yep. You have something over there, Marla? Nope. Nope. <laughs> we'll bring Marla in and Polly with the women here because well, the women certainly have, you know, they have to deal with this guy who doesn't have a problem but does have a problem. And if their lips are moving, they're probably lying. So, <laughs> Well, I had another question for Steve in terms of when you have like your formal meeting part, what sort of... Uh, issues do you address prior to breaking up into groups? Like, what would a typical speaker sort of sound like? We have two ways we go about it. We, we deal with a devotional daily. We're trying to develop spiritual disciplines where men uh, wake up every morning and they uh, meet with the Lord and they start their day off that way. And then we also have curriculum that we work with uh, that actually helps guys deal with the, the sexual addiction aspect of it and b- taking the biblical principles through the lens of, of sexual addiction and helping them learn how to apply that. So some of the things we talk about are, uh, you know, forgiveness is a huge one mm-hmm. uh, because people have hurt them. Maybe they've been molested themselves when they were kids, uh, abused by parents, family, and, you know, you have to deal with those. Paul says, leaving what lies behind, pressing on. We've got to deal with the past, but at some point you got to leave that behind and start looking how you're going to live forward. Yeah. I mean, it, it looks like it's not just a behavioral issue. It, there, it's not like you have a you do something. I mean, you have to deal with the behavior, but the behavior is an outgrowth of something else. Right. Well, and I think that's a big deal that uh, the four of us were involved with a ministry in the past that talked a lot about our identity and mm-hmm. making sure it's an inside job, that this first has to start from the inside out. And the first thing is a guy needs to be willing to get some help, and denial is such a big part of it. And uh, so I, also I wanted to describe those devotions. And those devotions, if they wanted to see one of those, what's your website, just so they know? Revive40.com. So revive and the number 40, not spell it out. Right. Revive40.com. And what's great is there's a scripture, there's a story, there's reflection time. And what? It could take a minimal of 10 minutes, or you could be in there an hour and a half if you wanted yeah, to. Yeah, just how much you want to dive into it. Right. Mm-hmm. I, think, so, I think, Paula, you had a great point there that actually brought something to my mind that I think is important, is that this started with most men between 8 and 12 years old, and the age today is much earlier than when I was mm-hmm. that age that it started, but uh, somewhere they found a magazine or something, uh, they're in their, their older years because we didn't have video back then. But today, men are, are getting into this, and at 8, 10, 12 years old, uh, they're watching hours and hours of video and having um, multiple sexual experiences in their mind way before they're even 18 to 20 years old. Wow. So the addiction is driven deep, and they're used to using it to comfort themselves. Somewhere in those years, they, they get uh, comfortable with uh, going to their addiction to kind of ha- go into their happy place, escape, escape the pressures of life. 
uh, and they don't even know what's going on, but over the years, that's what, what really ices the addiction is that relief from the pain and the things they don't want to deal with, mm-hmm. you know, and they can go, go into that place. So I, I was reading some of uh, Josh McDowell, who's been a champion for this, mm-hmm. and he says that by the end of 2016, global internet traffic will reach 1.1 zettabytes per year. I have no idea what a zettabyte is. <laughs> but that and whatever then, it is, that, that was three years ago. Right. <laughs> and then he said, then he said by, by year t- 2019, global trafficking will, is expected to hit two zettabytes per year. One zettabyte is the equivalent of 36,000 years of high-definition video which in turn is equivalent uh, to the streaming of Netflix's entire catalog 3,177 times in just three minutes. Wow. 3,177 times in three minutes. And the amount of data traveling over the Internet in just three minutes is the digital equivalent of every motion picture ever made in the last 120 years. I mean, how can you fight against that? <laughs> crazy. It's like, and, and, you know, what I think when I, when I uh, see that is that the one who's in us is greater than the one that's in the world. Mm-hmm. And the one that's in the world is causing confusion and causing us to get way off track in that mm-hmm. stuff. So I just wanted to add something real quick, um, which your point really brings up the heart behind Revive 40 is it's really, Steve and I have always had a passion for discipleship, Mm -hmm. and um, this is not just about helping guys walk free of sexual addiction. Mm -hmm. It is about discovering that um, these things happen that we would learn not to rely on ourselves, but mm. the God who raises men from the dead. Mm-hmm. And helping men discover Christ is enough for whatever they need to be able to walk this walk with the Lord, with a relationship with Him. And this is just the tool that brings them to their knees, that He can be Lord of their life, that they can start um leading their families, how Christ called the men to lead. And um, that's really our passion is not just not just changes in this area, but change overall life changes right. and discipleship. So the, God uses, we used to have a message called problems, problems, why problems? So God uses this hook of something that is an addictive thing, which to me, addiction is simply the flesh gone wild. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, uh, Mm -hmm. Scripture says, if you walk after the Spirit, you won't carry out the desire of the flesh. Sometimes I think we give Satan a little bit too much credit and too much much time when we should Mm -hmm. be concentrating on the, you know, they say that if you're going to look at counterfeit uh, money, the, the guys look at the real thing. They don't look at the counterfeit because if you know the real thing and if you're uh, able to see that, then you'll know what to stay away from. And so what you're saying is God uses this pain to bring somebody to a point where they're not in denial, they're confessing. And, of course, James says if you confess your sin one to another, you're going to be healed. Mm-hmm. And like Steve said, 
when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Well, this time has just gone really fast, and I'm just wondering if you guys could stick around for one more session with us so we can talk more uh, specifically about Revive and some of the things and ways that the women are affected because uh, the men are affected, but the women are affected as well. Mm, so we'd are, love to. would you be willing to do that? <laughs> Steve, do you let's, too? Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> so this is Alan Heller, and we've had a great time talking with Steve and Marla Wagner, who are um, in the midst of launching a great ministry called Revive 40. And you can get there at revive40.com. And if you want to talk with us, you can go to Alan, A-L-A-N, at Walk and Talk. That's W-A-L-K. I can't talk. W-A-L-K-A-N-D-T-A-L-K dot org. And uh, if you want to get some books, uh, Marital Mystery Tour and our trust book that we've talked about in past podcasts, feel free to do that. As well as just go to our website and you can pick up some of these podcasts if you missed part of it or you want to um, listen to something uh, while you're doing your exercise or something. So, Polly, any last thoughts? I, I love that what Revive 40 is dealing with is not just sexual addiction, that you are addressing the whole man mm -hmm. and the, the person's need to give his life over completely to Christ mm -hmm. and let Christ make him free. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that's our heart. And so we're looking forward to talking with these guys uh, in our next podcast. Till then, be walking your talk. This has been Walking Our Talk with Alan and Polly Heller, where we put into action those principles we know from God's Word, one step at a time. You can find more help at our website, walkandtalk.org. I can only imagine what my eyes will see when your face is before me. I can only imagine. To my knees will I fall, will I sing hallelujah, will I be able to speak at all, I can only imagine, I can only imagine, I can only imagine, when that day comes, and I find myself, Standing in the sun I can only imagine When all I would do Is forever Forever worship you I can only imagine, yeah
To my knees will I fall, will I sing hallelujah, will I be able to speak at all, I can only imagine, yeah, I can only imagine. Coming up next is a sermon by Pastor Bill Milder, Arizona Community Church. Today's topic is Taming the Tongue, Part 2. I hope you have a blessed time with Pastor Bill. In particular, we're looking at taming the tongue. Okay, how many of you were here last week? Good. If you were here last week, if you weren't here last week, no big deal because I'm going to read last week's passage. But the homework for last week was to find five ways a day to proclaim God's glory for seven days, okay? And whether you did it or not, that's okay. But how many of you uh, tried and just had fun, had found opportunities to do it? It's amazing when you look for opportunities to glorify God and to, to lift his name up, they present themselves. They're just always there. And it's amazing that we can use our tongues to glorify God. When I was a young Christian, I told you guys this, I was a very young Christian. One of the things that I would marvel at everything, when, my, when the lights came on and my eyes were open and my heart was changed, I was literally like, I looked at everything new. But one of the things that always was amazing to me, I'm like, I'm actually, I can use my tongue to glorify you, God. I'm actually using my voice to glorify your name. And it was just this whole new world for me because I couldn't do it before. Now, the reason I bring that up is because last week we started talking about taming the tongue, but the passage was so robust. It's such an awesome passage that we are going to continue with it this week. Well, on October 8th, 1871, at about 8.30 p.m. in the evening, a farm animal accidentally kicked over a lantern, a small lantern, 
in a small barn belonging to the O'Leary family in Chicago, Illinois. A long period of hot, dry, windy conditions, along with the wooden construction of much of the city and many of its buildings, contributed to the disastrous conditions. The fire quickly spread. It leapt over the south branch of Chicago River, destroying much of central Chicago. The fire then leapt over the main branch of the river, consuming parts of the northern side as well. Before it could be contained, 300 people died, 125,000 people were left homeless, and over 17,000 buildings were destroyed. Now, why do I tell you that? Because it was a tiny lantern in a small barn that literally changed the course of an entire city. That, my friends, is the power of fire. Even the tiniest flame has unlimited potential to cause massive damage. The tiniest flame with enough fuel can cause an incredible amount of damage. We as Arizonans know this because we have lightning strikes here in this state. And in 2013, specifically June 28th of 2013, a lightning strike in Yarnell Hills, in the Yarnell Hills, started a fire. And we deployed courageous men and women to fight that fire. And you will remember that 19 young hotshot firefighters died on June 30th, 2013 in that fire. And we still mourn for them today. Their courage to protect us. That fire started with a small lightning strike and started to consume everything in its path. The reason I tell you that is because it is no surprise that fire is dangerous and that can consume much. And James picks up on that in our passage today. And he shows us not the destructive nature of necessarily fire, but the destructive nature of the tongue. So it is on that note, church, I present to you the word of God this morning. We're going to start with last week's section, and then I'll read this week's section. So James chapter three, church, my honor to present to you the word of God this morning. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. That's on me, right? For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things." Okay, so that was last week's passage. And if you missed last week's passage, you can find it online. Here is this week's passage, and it picks up on the exact same theme. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. And James goes on to write these words, With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. More on that in a minute. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be. So, does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Amen. Church, again, it's my honor to present to you the word of the living God. 
So what's interesting about this section is James focuses entirely on the negative. I mean, this is negative. It's one negative comment after another about the tongue. He just doesn't hold back. James does not hold back about the destructive nature of the tongue. Now, as we already pointed out, James equates the tongue with fire, which is able to destroy anything in its path. What's also interesting is that James, listen to these words, he calls it a world of unrighteousness that's set on fire by hell itself. I'm not making this up. The half-brother of Jesus himself describing what the human tongue is like, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell itself. That's a pretty strong comment. It's set on fire by hell. The tongue, and you would all agree with this, the tongue can, be, can easily become a tool for Satan, can it not? Oh my goodness, yes it can. The tongue can become a tool for Satan, fulfilling hell's purposes to pollute and corrupt, to harm and destroy. And the list goes on and on and on. And I know that again, there's not a person in this room that would disagree with me because you don't have to live very long in this life, do we? You don't have to live very long in this life to experience firsthand how the tongue can easily become a tool for Satan. Amen? We've all been on the receiving end of words that felt like it came from the pit of hell themselves. You know, what's really interesting. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back with me in time. 2,000 years before today, we're at the time of James. We're at the time of Jesus and James and the apostles. If you go back 1,000 years before them, you're at the time of King David. So 1,000 years before the time of Christ is when King David lived. Now, if you don't know who King David is, King David was the second king of Israel. Saul was the first king. David's the second king. And David, remember, killed Goliath. David killed Goliath. And then when he became a king, he also was a man of much war. As a matter of fact, he wanted to build the temple of God. When it came time to build the temple, he wanted to build it. And God said, you have too much blood on your hands. Your son can build it. You can collect the materials, but your son is going to build it because you have too much blood on your hands. So David was a warrior. David knew what it was like to fight and to shed blood. But you know what? When David feared his enemies, you know what he feared? He didn't necessarily fear their weapons. He feared their words. And I can prove it to you. Psalm 64, beginning in verse 1. This is what David writes. Hear my voice, O God, in my complaint. David's burdened. Preserve my life from the dread of my enemies. Hide me from their secret weapons? No, their secret plots, the plots of the wicked, from the throng of evildoers who wet their tongues like swords, who aim bitter words like arrows, shooting from ambush at the blameless, shooting at him suddenly and without fear. They hold fast to their evil purpose. They talk, people who talk, don't we? They talk of laying snares, secretly thinking, who can see them? Who can see them? David says his enemies use their tongues like swords and use their words like arrows. Isn't that true? Is that not true? We all have people in our lives who use their tongues as swords and use their words like arrows. And it can sting. I bet you everybody in this room right now has somebody in their life, whether it's in their past or currently, who uses their words like a sword. And you know who's that when that sword is drawn and it's thrust, you know who it's thrust at? You. It's thrust at you. And it can be thrust at you for any number of reasons. It can be thrust at you for no reason at all. There are just people who they get you in their crosshairs. For whatever reason, you get in somebody's crosshairs and they are after you. It might be somebody in your family. It might be somebody at your work. It might be who knows. 
And it might be that these swords are being thrust at you for a reason. And that reason could be your Christian faith. Because we as Christians aren't always necessarily that light. Our own family members don't like that we stand for righteousness and godliness and that we uphold the value of God's word. And so sometimes when those words are spoken, they become swords at us because of our faith. Some people know, literally know, people who this is all they do. Their tongues are literally swords constantly being waved around at people. If you're here today and that's you, I get it. We all get it. We have those people in our lives. You know, it's interesting. Jesus had those people in his life who used their tongues like swords. You know, when we think about Christ and his suffering on the cross, when we think about the suffering that he endured, we often think about the physical suffering he endured, right? He was flogged. His beard was ripped out. He was punched in the face. He was spat upon and other things that happened to him. Ultimately, he was nailed to a cross and left there to suffocate for six hours, long agonizing hours. But you know what we fail to forget or fail to remember? We fail to remember the fact that it wasn't just a physical beating that he endured. He endured extreme verbal abuse, extreme verbal abuse. They accused him of blasphemy, his enemies did. You're being blasphemous. They believe, they accused him of being demon-possessed. Now listen, you might be in this room today and going, I have been on the receiving end of people who have used their words like a sword. I bet you they didn't call you demon-possessed. That's about as low as you can go. Now some of you in here, you might fall into that category. It's where you have somebody that goes, you got a demon in you, but Jesus was also accused of being born out of fornication. That stings. That really stings. Breaking the Sabbath. In other words, you don't love God. You don't obey him. You break his commands. That one stings. Being a friend of sinners. We as Christians today consider that a compliment, right? Because that we know is what God was all about. Back then, that wasn't a compliment. Of being a drunkard, of being a liar, being an insurrectionist. And the list goes on. And again, we might be tempted to think that Jesus just blew these accusations off. No big deal. Water off a duck's back, right? Jesus, it was the only thing that he really endured was the physical suffering. No, remember, Jesus was 100% man, which he, means he had emotions and feelings. We call this the hypostatic union, by the way. It is the divine nature and the human nature coming together in one man, Jesus Christ. That's called the hypostatic union. Jesus was fully man. So he had a physical body. So when he endured the abuse, he felt it but he was also a physical man in that he had emotions. And so when his enemies, just like they did with King David, drew their swords or pulled back their arrows at Jesus, it hurt him. Imagine being told you were born out of fornication. That would hurt. It would hurt every bit as much as being whipped on the back. Now here's the deal. Why is that important? Because there are many of us in here right now who know what it feels like to be falsely accused or to be slandered, or to be verbally abused, or to have somebody gossip about you or say something that's not true about you. Pretty much probably everyone in here falls into that category, some of us more than others. And if you're here today and that is you, guess what? I get it. We get it. James gets it. This is the world we live in where people use their tongues like sword and use their words like arrows. Which one of us hasn't been pierced by something that was said to us as a child? Maybe even by a parent, you know, that in, the, in a moment of weakness said something to us and we still carry it to this very day or something that was said to us on the playground that we carry to with us this very day. It's like that arrow is still sticking out of us because it hurts so very bad. Now, what I'm about to say, some of you might disagree with, but I'm going to say it. You can make the argument that it would be more bearable to get punched in the face 
than to endure the slander from someone else's mouth. Now, some of you might go, no, I'd rather endure the slander and not the punch in the face. Who wants to get punched in the face? But listen, in some cases, the slander can be so bad and the words can be so hurtful. It's like, just punch me in the face and leave. Your fist in my face is more bearable than the words coming from your mouth. It is literally when you're, it is as if your mouth opened, the gates of hell opened and it has been unleashed on me. Punch me in the face. That's what I prefer. Just don't speak a word. And again, that's why James says the tongue is a fire set on fire by hell. When he says that, by the way, he's not overstating things. I, I, you all know that. I don't have to, I'm preaching to the choir because again, you only have to get into kindergarten to know the power of the tongue, right? Because by kindergarten, you know that the kids can be ruthless with their words at the kindergarten level, five years old. All of us in here know exactly what James is talking about. By the way, when the apostle Paul, in Romans chapter three, apostle, the apostle Paul's describing the nature of fallen man. And when he describes the nature of fallen man, do you know the, one of the number one things he attacks? The tongue. He attacks the tongue. Listen to this. Paul says this, no one is righteous, no, not one. This is fallen, unregenerate mankind. An unregenerate meaning he's not born again. He's still dead in his sins, okay? No one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So one day we're going to unpack this, but that first verse right there, or 12 right there is brutal. But listen to 13. Their throat, it's an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of ass is on their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. How many of you have ever received a, a harsh word for someone and it feels like a snake just bit you, Right? It feels like you've been pumped full of venom and it's like that hurt. It's going to continue to hurt. That's exactly what he says. Your throat is an open grave. It's an open grave. Death comes from your mouth. Again, we all have those people that talk like it's a blistering indictment of fallen man. By the way, I always say this. What's the number one disease in all the world? Self-righteousness. The number one disease in all the world is self-righteousness. It is people who think that they have lived a good enough life to stand before God on judgment day. Ask the average person on the street, are you going to heaven? What are they going to say? Yeah, they're going to say yes. Most everybody will say yes. That's self-righteousness. That is self-righteousness. Number one disease in all the world. So whenever you're talking to a non-Christian, one of the easiest ways to show them that they have not lived to God's standards is to show them that they have violated God's commandments with simply their tongue. You only have to go to the tongue. You don't even have to go to their actions or anything else. Just go to their tongue. Ask them, have you ever told a lie? What are they going to have to say? They're going to have to say yes, or they're lying. How ironic is that, right? Yeah, if they're going to be honest, they're going to say, yeah, of course I've told a lie. And of course, if you tell one lie, you're a liar. Just as if you commit one murder, you're a murderer. They're going to go, well, I only told a small lie. Doesn't matter. Have you ever gossiped about somebody? or spoken negatively about another person's character. If they say no, you simply point out they did it by kindergarten. They did it before they were out of kindergarten. Ask them if they have ever, you guys ready? Brace yourselves. This one's going to sting. You were cursed. Listen, in my house growing up, if you weren't in the car on time, my dad would get so mad. There, we'd be driving to church and there'd be curse words going, you know? Have you, how many of you grew up with a dad like that? It's like, we're getting to church on time, you know? We're, we're getting there. Yeah, it's amazing. You can curse even on the way to church or if the pastor's talking too long, right? And you want to go to lunch. You can curse under your breath. There's other ways to curse too. 
It's not just swear words. We can take the Lord's name in vain. Ask person, have you ever taken the Lord's name in vain? Have you ever used it in a way that didn't bring total honor and glory to him? If they're honest, they're going to have to say, yes, that's blasphemy. That's a sin of blasphemy. Again, we might be tempted to think that James is overstating his point about the destructive nature of the tongue. It's like a fire that destroys everything in its path. It's literally set on fire. The fires of hell come with it. This is what James is saying. Can that be true? Yes, it is. And so to further make his case, James uses another analogy today to show us the awesome destructive power of this tongue. And it comes when he says this, for every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. According to James, this is what James says. According to James, it's easier to tame wild animals than it is to tame the tongue. That's truly incredible. It really is truly incredible. You can enter a person's house and see their pets doing tricks at the owner's commands, right? You come to my house, I have two dogs. I'll get them to do tricks when you come over. You can go to the zoo and see lions under the full submission of a single solitary person. And not just one lion, 10 lions. You can see them jumping up and doing all sorts of crazy things with the command of a single person. You can go to an aquarium and see a killer whales jumping through hoops with simple hand gestures from their trainers. Fascinating that we have mastered the animal kingdom. It is a marvel that we have done that. Yet despite all of these great accomplishments, mankind, according to James, is unable to control the tongue. Fascinating. By the way, we all are well aware of Adam's first sin. What was Adam's first sin? It was pride, right? It was pride. He wanted to be like God. He wanted to know good from evil. You know what his second sin was? Most people don't know what his second sin was. His second sin was slander. Yeah, what did he say to God? You're the one that's to blame here because you gave me this woman, right? And we tend to think that he blamed the woman. He actually was slandering God first and secondarily Eve. And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. This is Adam talking to God. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate it. How this is your fault and secondarily her fault, right? Sound like men, ladies? You can say amen on that. You know you want to say amen. Yeah, Adam slanders God first and also slanders Eve in the process. God, this is your fault. You're the one that gave the woman to be with me. And by the way, before we cast too many stones at Adam for the way that he used his tongue, which one of us in here haven't tried to place the blame for our bad decision-making at the feet of God in one way or another? All of us are guilty of this, right? We might not be as bold and as brazen as Adam in saying, God, you gave me, but we do. I do. There are times I make bad decisions and I'm like, God, why did you allow this and this and this to happen? Why did you give me this? Because if you didn't do that, then I wouldn't have done what I did. Or I wouldn't have thought the way that I thought. God, this is ultimately your fault and my wife's fault and my kid's fault and the government's fault, right? I'll blame everybody but me. This is what I'll do with my tongue. I'll use it to blame everybody but me. And that is why it is not surprising. Remember, King David, go back 2,000 years, go back 1,000 years before the time of Christ, you're a King David. You want to know what one of King David's prayers was over his life? It was this, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth and keep watch over the door of my lips. Folks, if you are going to pray one thing this week, pray this prayer. Make this a regular part of your prayer. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth especially when I'm driving to church on Sunday, right? And keep watch over the doors of my lips, especially when my team loses, right? I mean, you can put anything in there. Set a guard over my lips. 
Sometimes I can't help myself. My tongue is a restless evil. It does whatever it wants. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth when I drive. David knew full well the temptations that reside in the human tongue. And so David's prayer is, God, guard it. Guard it for me. Here's what's fascinating. Let me tell you something truly fascinating. You will remember that David had a son. Do you remember his son's name by any chance? It was Absalom. Absalom. Absalom decided to attack. He wanted to be king, so he wanted to attack his dad. You know how he attacked his dad? He didn't do it with an army. He did it with his tongue. Let me show you. And Absalom used to rise early and stand beside the way of the gate. And when any man had a dispute to come before the king for judgment, Absalom would call to him and say, see, your claims are good and right, but there is no man designated by the king to hear you. The king doesn't care for you. If he did, he'd put a man here. Oh, by the way, the king is my father and he doesn't care for you. And day and day he said this, and he slowly won over the hearts of the people. Now, hold that thought. Did you know that in his lifetime, David successfully killed lions and bears? Let me show you something. But David said to Saul, this was before David became king. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. Incidentally, did you see in the news this week, um, the man who killed a mountain lion? Did you see this in the news? Some of you saw that. Fascinating. He, it was, he was attacked and he killed it. So it can happen. Why is this important? Here's why, folks. Because it was easier for David to kill a lion and bear than it was for him to control the tongue of his own son. That is the power of the human tongue. It was easier for David to kill a lion and a bear than it was for him to control the tongue of his own son. And that perfectly illustrates James's point. Every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed. Just go to a local aquarium, just go to the zoo, or just walk in your front door and see your puppy dogs because you've trained them well, and I have too. But no human being can tame the tongue. This is the destructive nature of the tongue. Now, this is where it gets sketchy. James then offers one final indictment on the human tongue. Are you ready? Because this is a big one. This is a big one. This is the one that pierces my heart and will probably pierce your heart. The final indictment is the hypocrisy that comes when we use our tongues to bless both God and those that God has created in his image. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. With our mouths, we both bless God and curse others. And it's not like we do, we bless God on Sunday and I curse someone on Wednesday. I can do it all in the same sentence. And you can too, right? Have you ever been in an argument with someone and you're like, God's on my side and you're an idiot, right? I mean, we may not say it, but we're thinking it, but we might say it, right? God is clearly with me and you're an idiot. And we're doing exactly what James says. Again, it's not separated by days, it's separated by minutes. Sometimes just a few verbs and a few nouns are the only thing that separate my blessing God and cursing another person. What's James say to this? All he says is this, my brothers, these things ought not to be so. 
We, as God's children, have been set apart in this generation, in this lifetime. We do not behave like the world. Our tongues have been sanctified and set apart for a greater purpose. And that purpose is to proclaim the excellencies of God. Soli Deo Gloria, that is one of the core tenets of the Protestant Reformation, all to the glory of God alone. And that is why Peter, when he's writing, says, but you, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession. You don't belong to the world anymore. You belong to God. As a result, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I love what this verse says. As children of God, we are to proclaim the excellencies of Christ. And guess what, folks? There are no limits to the excellencies of Christ. So have at it. Go crazy. The only thing that will prevent you and stop you from proclaiming the excellencies of Christ is you. It will not be Christ. Be Christ because the excellencies of Christ are infinite. If Christ isn't being glorified with your mouth, it's not God's fault. And it's not because there's not enough to pray, proclaim and to praise him about. It's because we have stopped. We are now using our tongues for some other purpose. But here's the key to an entire passage, and I'm going to end with this. The only way, folks, according to James, to have a pure tongue is to have a pure heart. That's why James says fresh water can only come from a fresh spring. If your heart is not right, your tongue won't be right. And so that raises the most important question that can be raised this morning. It is this. Is your heart right with God this morning? Is my heart right with God this morning? Does God have all of your heart this morning? It's the most important question. Matthew 22, 37, what is that Jesus said? I tell you, he said, the greatest commandment, love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. Matthew 22, 37. Has something got a hold of your heart other than the Lord this morning? Is it a worry? Is it a burden? Is it an idol? Is it another person? Is it your future? Is it your past? What is it that has a hold of your heart this morning that is keeping you from having Christ enthroned in your heart that you may proclaim his excellencies? Folks, your life is short. The days are short. The opportunities are precious. Use this tongue that God has given to you and the transformed heart that he has put in you to proclaim his excellencies Why you can. Be set apart in this generation of people, this generation of people who are using their tongues to speak bitterness and words of hate and words of death upon each other. Let's use our tongues to proclaim life and to preach the gospel. Ephesians 4, 29. But only say what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Now, I'm going to say one final thing. It is so easy for our hearts to wander from the Lord. And here's the deal. A great indicator that your heart might not be in the right place is when your tongue is out of control. Let me say it again. A great indicator that your heart might not be in the right place is when your tongue is out of control. Here's the good news, though. The good news, the great news, is that God is always near even when our hearts have wandered off. Amen? God is always near even when our hearts have wandered off. God still has his eyes on you and me even when our eyes aren't fully on him. So if your heart has not been fully with the Lord this week, guess what? God's heart is fully with you. His eyes are fully on you. You bring your heart to him this morning and say, God, I bring you my heart. Take hold of it, transform it so that this thing that you put in my mouth may be used to glorify you. Amen? Let me pray. Father in heaven, we come before you. And God, we know full well that the tongue is a restless evil. God, forgive us of the times that we, when we have spoken words that have not glorified you or lifted up others. But God, we bring our hearts to you this morning. God, we want to be people set apart, a chosen people, a royal priesthood set apart in this generation to do your work. And so Father, we ask that you'd use our tongues this week, even this very day to glorify you, to build up others. Let us speak life and not death. Let us encourage and not tear down. Father, most importantly, may we not be ashamed to proclaim the gospel that the one true 
living and righteous God sent his one and only son into the world to die for the sins of men. Let us be bold with that message, God. Let us not be ashamed of the gospel. So in the quietness of your heart, just spend a couple seconds in private prayer. Bring to God your heart this morning. Anything that's burdening you, anything that's distracting you, give it to God now. We go now, people sanctified, set apart, ready to glorify you. We love you. We thank you. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, to his glory. The church said with me, amen. Hey
Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries has the opportunities for anyone to volunteer in editing, producing the program, or even reviewing the broadcasts at our office. You don't have to be an expert. We are excited to teach anyone that is willing to learn. If you are interested in learning how to be an editor, producer, or even a reviewer, please contact us at 602-866-8999 or email us at heartandsoul.org at gmail.com. Coming up next is It's Time to Pray the Bible. Hello, my name is Deborah Joy. I am the host of this program. It's time to pray the Bible. One of the Christian authors I highly respect is Andrew Murray. He was a Dutch Reformed preacher who made a powerful impact on the nation of South Africa in the 19th and early 20th centuries. I would like to share an excerpt from his book, With Christ in the School of Prayer, on the topic of God's Word and Prayer. He starts with John chapter 15, verse 7, which says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. The vital connection between the word and prayer is one of the simplest and earliest lessons of the Christian life. Before prayer, God's word strengthens me by giving my faith its justification and petition. In prayer, God's Word prepares me by revealing what the Father wants me to ask. After prayer, God's Word brings me the answer, for in it the Spirit allows me to hear the Father's voice. When God reveals Himself in His words, He does indeed give Himself, His love and His life, His will and His power to those who receive these words in a reality that surpasses our comprehension. In every promise, He gives us the power to grasp and possess Him. God's Word gives us God Himself. Isn't this what we desire to encounter in God's Word? To know and love Him intimately? When we meditate and pray His Word of promises back to Him, God will accomplish those promises we just prayed in our lives. God is inviting us to ask Him to do what He already wants to do for us. Today's scripture reading is from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, which says, For as many as are the promises of God, in Him they are yes. Therefore, also through Him is our Amen to the glory of God through us. Let's worship our beautiful King 
by declaring His promises. Father, we bow down before Your divine presence and bring You our deepest worship as we experience Your tender love and living truth. The promises of Your Word and the fame of Your name have been magnified among the nations. Your loyal love and mercy continues forever, and Your eternal truth will last throughout all generations. We are so amazed by Your goodness and loving kindness. God, thank You for giving us Your living promises as pure gifts of Your grace. and keeping your promises so faithfully to every generation. The fulfillment of your promises depends entirely on trusting you and your ways, and then embracing you and what you do. We trust you and fix our hearts on your promises, for they are armor and protection. God, you are our true help. You are our keeper who will watch over us. Shelter us safely in your presence and protect us forever. You promise to guide us with your wise counsel and to lead us to a glorious destiny. Father, when we leave all our cares and anxieties at your feet, your abounding grace will strengthen us and you will carry our load. You will never allow us to be shaken. You are the everlasting God who promised to renew our strength and give us power as we hope in you. You are the Lord of peace who always guards our hearts and minds with your heavenly peace as we offer our requests with thanksgiving in every situation. Lord, we don't worry about tomorrow for you are trustworthy. As we seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, you promise to give us everything we need according to your riches in glory. Holy Spirit, thank you for helping us in our weakness. When we don't know how to pray, you intercede for us according to the will of God. We are forever grateful for your intercession for us. Your word promises us that If we confess our sins, you are faithful and righteous to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, you promise to heal our broken hearts and all sickness and set us free by the power of your Spirit and truth. You restore our soul and revive our life. You are the God who causes all things to work together for good in our lives. Father, what glorious news to hear you say the plans and thoughts that you have for us. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give us a future and a hope. God, we claim your promise that says, Your divine power has given us everything we need for living a godly life and reflecting your true nature through our knowledge of you, who called us by your own glory and goodness. Father, your word calls us to the high pursuit of being an imitator of you. Therefore, we are free to live a life of love just as you loved us and gave yourself up for us. 
Jesus, we can do all things through you because you promised to give us strength. You have made us to be more than conquerors, and your demonstrated love is our glorious victory over everything. Lord, we confidently claim your promise that you hear us whenever we ask for anything according to your will. And since we know that you hear us when we make our requests, we also know that you will give us what we ask for. Father, we are fully convinced that you have the power to accomplish all that you have promised to us in your word. You are the God who will achieve infinitely more than our greatest request and our most unbelievable dream. and who will exceed our wildest imagination. We give you all the glory, honor, and praise forever and ever. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.
We are now ending our Unity in Christ broadcast. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to being with you again next week. <laughs>